Hey, New Numa family, this is Britt Eaton. You're listening to the New Numa Godcast. I love listening to my brother Norman, the Professor Brown, because he never shies away from topics most of the church won't even touch. If this is your first time listening, make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and on the YouTube channel today. What's up, family? This is Norman, your host of New Numa Godcast. If you have enjoyed hearing my podcast, then you will also enjoy hearing me in person. For those who want to contact me for ministry or speaking engagements, or for some other reason, please email me at new.numa.podcast at gmail.com and place in the subject line, speaking engagement, ministry engagement, or whatever applies to why you are contacting me. You may also find the email address in the show description of this episode. God bless you. And I look forward to you being here again for the next podcast. Thanks for choosing a new Numa Godcast today. If you're here, it's not a coincidence. So take the next step and subscribe today. Also, for you YouTubers, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Lastly, if you are on social media, follow me at Norm the Professor on Instagram and Twitter. And follow the podcast at New Numa on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook today. That's New Numa, P-N-E-U-P-N-E-U-M-A. Peace. What's good, New Numa fam? I'm your host, Norm the Professor, a.k.a. Norman Brown. Welcome to the podcast where you come to get the real from a biblical perspective. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I'd like to personally welcome you and want to let you know a little about what you may expect. I attack the raw issues affecting the church and the world at large today, giving you biblical backup for everything I say. Basically, this podcast gets in your face with issues that are trending, taboo, and tough to talk about, which today's watered-down churches don't even touch. I also interview Christians of all types of backgrounds, careers, ministries, and more to put on record their stories of redemption, salvation, and victory to inspire you to walk out your kingdom purpose to expand the kingdom of God in the earth. If you want the truth, this is definitely a podcast you want to hear. So get your spiritual ears ready to hear what the Lord is saying to the church. Peace. So first of all, I want to say welcome to the show, Hans. Amen. And Jesus says, good to be here. Um, praise the Lord, man. Um, I, I love the podcast format. Um, so, yeah, man, me and when I, one of my friends, we, we started a, a podcast some time ago. So we definitely, definitely love it. Mm-hmm. All right. So I just wanted to kind of let you know, well, first of all, I'm going to talk about who you are. I'm going to read a little bit of your bio so that people know who they are listening to. So your bio you, says uh, you, that you, you are a Philadelphia you, native who hit the stage on the secular hip-hop scene in 1991 with the hit song Imagination that went to the top 10 on Billboard's rap charts in 1991. It also says you were the second rap artist ever signed to Epic Sony Records in 1991. And you also completed an album with Loud slash RCA records in 1993. Mm-hmm. You made appearances on BET's Teen Summit, Rap City, Rap City, Arsenio Hall, Party Machine, which was hosted by Nia Peoples, 
You've been on videos on MTV Europe. You've been um, on TBN's Praise the Lord, CBN 700 Club, NBC, and ABC's Vision, among many other things. And now uh, he is an ordained minister and serves as director of youth and young adults for the tri-state area for the Church of God. He holds a Master's of Divinity from Palmer Theological Seminary of Eastern University. And you live in Philadelphia with your your wife, Melanie. So you've been really busy. And um, you got a lot of things, man, that you have accomplished and, and so forth. One of the things that um, I wanted to let people know before we go any further is that I first heard you that I know of. Let me say it that way. The first time that I know for sure that I heard you was somewhere between 2004 to 2006. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say that is because I was on the road. I was headed back from a training that I was going to at this company I used to work at, and I was riding through North Carolina on my way Mm -hmm. back to Baltimore. And I heard a radio show. I just, you know, I just turned on the radio. I figured I would just listen and see what I heard. And um, I happened to run into a Christian radio station that was playing hip-hop. And I was really shocked. At first, I was like, wow, is this what I think it is? And I'm listening. I was listening hard. I'm like, wait a minute. They're playing Christian hip-hop. And so I I was really getting excited because... In all honesty, man, that was probably the first time mm-hmm. that I heard Christian hip hop on the radio. Wow. And um and I was like, Man, this is long overdue but I finally, you know, like I said, I heard it and it was an actual radio mix. So they had this mix, it was in the show where this woman, this sister was um mixing different songs from different artists and mm-hmm. I kind of like I think I she was naming off the people who were on the songs or whatever. And I just happened to turn it on either right when your song was playing or right before your song was playing. Mm. And bottom line is when I heard the songs that were playing and then especially when I heard yours and your name, I was mm. like, Oh, first of all, I love the name. I was like, Oh, <laughs> that's a slick name. And I was like, mm. and then I liked the song and I said, man, I need to write this down. So I wrote it down. And then I wrote down the name of the person whose show it was and, and, and so forth and so on. And then I eventually, I eventually got in touch with her. Her name was hmm. Michelle Price. I don't know if you ever heard that name before. Or no, I'm not familiar. What, 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 what state is that? What state was that? So that was in North Carolina. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but anyway, her name was Michelle Price. She was the one that was doing the show. And she was and she's a mixed DJ or she was like a just a host? It was like she was more like a host, but uh-huh. I think that um I'm pretty sure she was doing the actual blending. She blended it. It wasn't like like scratching type DJ yeah. stuff. It wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. But it was like mm-hmm. she would play one song and then she would kinda let it mm-hmm. go into the mm-hmm. next one and then like mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. anyway, I was um I got in touch with her. And then I was like, hey, I got, I heard you on the radio, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. I want to know how, where you find these artists that you were playing because I've never heard them before. Mm-hmm. And then she was like, well, this is 
what I do and blah, blah, blah. And then she was like, I can send you the mix and the list and this, that, and the third. And I was like, yeah, please. Mm, so I ended right up there. getting the music from her. And wow. um, and so we, we kind of like, we did kind of stay in touch with each other. I mm-hmm. think we're still connected on Facebook or something. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, so mm-hmm. that was how I first found out about you. And, oh, um, Lord, yeah, so, but it was interesting because, okay, since then, though, um, I hadn't been able to find or didn't know where to find any more of your music. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I just kind of like, I guess you could say I was just playing that same song over and over as much as I could whenever I, you know, yeah. wherever I had yeah. it. And then yeah. over the years, it just kind of like became less and less because of mm-hmm. other stuff that was going on. But you always were in the back of my mind. Let me say it that way. Yeah, and then, the Lord, man. yeah, so recently. What song, what song was it, if you don't mind me asking? Do you, you know what, man? It's been so long, I don't remember yeah. what the name was. It's all good. It's all yeah, good. but it was like... I, yeah, I don't remember, man. I wish I could tell you. But, yeah, it was just one of those things, but it was so catchy to me. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. like I said, your name, the one of the reasons why your name stood out to me is because I'm really into Star Wars. And mm-hmm. when I heard Han Soul, I was like, oh, that's crazy. I like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting because people may not know, and Jesus says, people may not know, so when I was, all right, so I'm going to flash back to 1990, and I was shopping deals, and um, I had a deal offer from Def Jam, Faith Newman, who signed Nas. That was her claim to fame, so to speak. And, of course, I had a, a deal from Epic at the same time. So when we were talking to Faith, she was like, listen, you can't go, because I used to, they used to call me Han Solo with an O, and she was like, you can't use that name because, you know, Luke Skywalker from Two Live Crew got sued by George Lucas, and you just you just don't want to touch it. So that's kind of where the Han Solo thing came about. But it's interesting because though that was a, a name used on the secular side, you know, it's, it's redeemed because my, my name is Hans, and my name means child of God, child of grace, and, of course, your soul is your mind, will, and emotion. So really it means my soul it belongs to God, so to speak. So even though it was not in the in the, in the Christ piece when I first started using it, you know, I, I, I feel like it's been redeemed, so to speak. So it's just interesting how that name came across. But that's kind of how the story behind the name, and that's kind of what the reason it was Han Solo versus Han Solo, and that's a whole other story. But, yeah, yeah, that was many, many moons ago, many moons yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. no doubt, yeah. no doubt. But it was a catchy name nonetheless, and um, mm-hmm. it was the thing, that was one of the main things that stood out to me when I heard mm-hmm. your name. I was like, mm-hmm. yo, that's an L name. I like the mm-hmm. name, so I was like, okay. And that made it stick to my memory. So um, I'm, 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 that's interesting. I'm glad you said that because that kind of is something I'm dealing with, with with my name. So I, I'm glad you said that because that will be fuel for the fire with that. Yeah, man. Yeah, bro. Yeah. yeah. yeah so. No, nah, man. It's been it's been a long time, bro. It's been a long time. I mean, I've been in the in the game even on the Christ side for a long time. Yeah, and, and you know, and it's kind of like a thing where, um. You know, we laid foundations for a lot of things. Um, I was doing, so in 1995 when um, 
I had, so in 1995, 94, I was finishing, uh, when I say I, I'm speaking old me, finishing my third project. I had been on Epic, had been on Loud, um, did units and all that kind of stuff, travel, toured, and all those type of things, um, and lots of video spins and, you know, different things. But, you know, God would always have a ceiling on my life. He would never let it, like, go gold or platinum, I'll sell 100,000 units or something like that, but it would never just fly off the charts. And and so I, I got dropped off a lot, you know, and I couldn't figure out why. The, the music was dope, you know, the, you know, there was a buzz going on. But God always had a plan. And after signing with Loud, um, I had a chip on, I mean, after getting dropped off a lot, I had a chip on my shoulder. And I was kind of like, whatever, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it. So I started a label with a guy that Houston, his name is Born Twice. who was really close with Ice-T. And he had like a distribution deal with one of the major distributors at the time. So, and he had started this thing called BLU, Black Labels United. So he's like, Hans, I got you, you know, you know, you'll ship 50,000 um, go to the mom and pop stores and nobody returns records. So, you know, you know, you're going to at least make like 300 K because back in those days, it was kind of like, if you ship a lot of records, the mom and pop stores don't really return records. They usually just keep them. But once they buy them, they got to pay for them, so to speak. And this third project, I decided, you know, to put, I started, I mean, you know, I got money funded, I got about $15,000 from a drug dealer, uh, unfortunately. I don't want to call him a drug dealer. That was his profession. I had about $18,000 I put into it, and we started, you know, finished an album in 95. Um, it was the most creative project that I say Old Me had been a part of. It was dope, um, aesthetically dope, musically. The only challenge was it was very dark. It was a very dark album. And um, that's when God called me, you know what I mean? Right when it was done, it, the test presses were out there. They were banging it on, on Power 99 in Philly. Uh, video Jukebox was banging it. And that's when God said, yo, enough of this. And okay. so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's so you learn a lot. You learn a lot. Um, you just learn a lot when God calls you out of darkness. And you have so listen, you have an experience, but go ahead. I don't want to. I don't want to fast track you. You go ahead. I'm a follow. Yeah. So, me. so let's let's go back to where it all started, though. Mm-hmm. Let's go mm-hmm. back to Philly. You from Philly, mm-hmm. and okay. um, I want to talk about your childhood growing up, man. So, what part mm-hmm. of Philly are you from? <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah. So, um, I was born in West Philly. Um, born and raised. But I wasn't raised in West Philly. I was born in West Philly. Um, if you know where Baltimore Avenue is, I was born at 46 in Larchwood. I was born in Mercy Hospital, which is uh, now like one of the oldest hospitals in Philadelphia. My dad uh, married my mom. My mom is Swedish, so I'm, I'm biracial. My dad mm-hmm. is like uh, from North Philly and really the, the bottom, which is like, you know, the pit, was the pit of Philly. He was a shoeshine boy. My dad's a lot older than me, had me very late in life. And I was the product of a third marriage with my dad. My dad was a grinder, hard worker, you know, really, you know, professional person, came out of very impoverished neighborhood to, to make it in life. 
And my mom, of course, is a Swede from Stockholm. So I grew up in a very interesting dynamic. But at the year, at the age of two, due to racism, I believe, and my dad feels it had something to do with my mom. And my mom had taken me and my brother to uh, Bahamas for vacation. My dad was supposed to come that weekend. And evidently, someone slipped my mom a Mickey. And this really changed the whole dichotomy of the marriage where they ended up getting divorced. My mom started being dealt with a lot of mental illness. Um, so at like two years of age, they divorced. And then at like three years of age, I moved to Sweden. So I lived in Sweden from three to six. So I'm a Swedish citizen and an American citizen. And then, you know, came back. We lived in Jersey for a while. Then uh, primarily moved at about 10 years of age, 11 years of age, moved to uh, Mount Airy which is not far from Germantown, and I grew up in Germantown uh, area. Okay. Ironically, yeah, ironically, across the street from me, Grover Washington Jr., the saxophonist, he lived across the street. So I, wow. did, I did records with Grove when I was in the world. The last project that was coming out, Grove was on two songs, uh, Mr. G, I don't call it, his son is Grove. His son was like one of my best friends. But... Yeah, it's a real interesting piece. I've, I've I've been in the hood. I've been in the nice neighborhoods. I've been I've been in the projects. <laughs> I, I I was at Barry Gordy's. I, mean, I used to go to Barry Gordy's house in the summer times. And my wow. other best friend, his his aunt was engaged to him. So the Jackson wow. Five would come to Philly and literally be like across the street from us in a in the driveway, you know, eating her soul food. They love Miss Ritter's soul food. Then we wow. would go to we would go to uh, L.A. and and, and the, the the Gordy limo would pick us up, and we'd be playing tennis with Mr. Gordy, man, just chopping it up at the Gordy Mansion. So I learned a lot. I've seen a lot. You know what I mean? And I, you know, it's interesting how God can place you around certain people. And to me, you know, Norm, I, I wasn't I wasn't raised in church. So for me, like, if you show me a black man making the kind of money Mr. Gordy was making, you know what I'm saying? It, it's obviously it was going to draw me. There's no question it was going to draw me. Um, and so I was really enamored with the whole music industry from a young age. Um, you know, you you go across the street and Mr. G, when the Wine Light album came out with just the two of us and all that, he'd get million-dollar royalty checks. And this is in the 80s. So you're like, wow, they eat, you know what I'm saying? And and that kind of drew me. And then when I went to college um, at Temple, my best friend, one of my best friends, he was Heavy D's first cousin, cousin. So we would go out to Mount Vernon on the weekends, and I would see Hev making all this money. I'd be hanging with Puffy and all them guys. I'm like, these guys eat. And, you know, we kind of just, it, it, it drew me. Um, I say, unfortunately, at times, because there's a scar that you carry at times, but there is the best, the blessing of it is that you're able to teach on it to this generation and share, you know, kind of some of the things for them to look out for. Yeah, man. I, I actually think that, um, you know, even when we talk about the bad things that we experience in our lives, those mm-hmm. things are what made us who we are to this day. And they mm-hmm. also helped us to have a testimony Mm-hmm. to be able to share with others who either may deal with the same thing mm-hmm. or they came, you know, they came out of it, mm-hmm. they're going through it, whatever the case mm-hmm. may be. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. being a, a, a light to shine Amen. in the midst of that darkness. Amen. So, um, Amen. 
it's just mm-hmm. interesting that um, it's kind of funny because as we're talking, you're answering uh, all the questions that I wanted to ask. So, <laughs> so far, you just goes, been, you just been hitting it right after one after another. But one thing no. I did want to ask you, though, no, let so me you start, also let me, let me let you let me let you ask because I don't want to be disrespectful. I'm sorry. Oh no, no, man, you're not disrespectful. I'm just saying, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like. I don't need to ask them because you're already answering them. But um, Holy Ghost. but Holy one Ghost. of the things that I do want to ask is you were talking about being in Sweden. And mm-hmm. I already knew by your first name, I knew I said either he has a German parent, Swedish mm-hmm. parent, Swiss, one of mm-hmm. those. I knew it was somewhere mm-hmm. in that kind of uh, area, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Mm-hmm. And um, but and that's why I was going to ask you about that, but you answered that. So yeah. now the yeah. question I have is: So are you now bilingual? Yeah, talk to Nikki Vashigu. No, and I'm, 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 I'm no. I would say no. I am technically, but I'm not in the sense that. So when I was younger, my mom sent me like tapes. She sent me like these tapes when me and my brother was little. And, you know, like I said, I wasn't raised in church or none of that. But for one tape, evidently, I was singing, he's got the whole world in his hand, but in Swedish. Wow. Wow. And so, you know, we were fluent in Swedish. But when we came back to the States, my dad, who's not Swedish, my dad, like I said, is a hard, hard, hard man, came out of North Philly. I don't call him a hard man. He's a good man, been through a lot. But he's been through a lot. And, you know, my dad don't know other language but English. And so yeah. my, my new my new mom at the time, I guess you could say my third mom, my stepmom, she was Mexican. So when one day my dad, you know, he comes in from work and we're in the house, me and my brother speaking Swedish and my stepbrothers and stepsisters are speaking Spanish. And my dad comes in and is like, yo, what is this? This ain't the United Nations. He's like, in this house, there's going to be one language. So he made me and my brother totally learn, unlearn sweet. Like, we couldn't speak Swedish no more. But my stepbrothers and stepsisters and my stepmom, they kept their thing going. So they wow. still know Spanish, but I don't know Swedish. Like, it's in me. My, my wife says when I'm, when I'm, in, when I'm sleeping, I, I start speaking in Swedish sometimes, like when I'm talking in my sleep. Oh, okay. I, you know, I, I just got to kind of get it out of me, so to speak. I have this uh, Swedish uh, Bible or Bible, and when I really yeah. start reading it and getting immersed in it, like I start to really understand Swedish. So that's an anointing yeah. that kind of like helps break through some things. But no, I'm not. I'm not right now. I, I wouldn't. I would have to use an app to kind of communicate. You know, fully. Okay. You know, I know yeah. a few words here and there, but not not enough to hold a, a very long conversation or nothing. So this is leading me to think, based on what you just said. So you lost communication with your mom. Yeah, unfortunately. So from the age of about six to um, sixteen, uh, man, I, I probably could count on one hand the time out of time I spoke to my mom. Um, and then, you know, she, she appeared back in my life a little later. So we're dealing with, you know, right now we're finishing a movie called Jesus Saves, which, you know, has play from kid and play house party movie, uh, Jamie Grace, the truth, um, Benjamin and Yango from, um, beautifully broken guys, not dead. Christopher Mann, He's from the, uh, uh, gosh, the wire and, 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 uh, 
loving movie which won an Oscar. It's got a lot of really great actors, and I'm directing it, and it's kind of a biopic, and it kind of touches on that whole thing that happened with my mom and dad, the racism involved in it, you know, what it feels like when you don't have a mom in your life. Um, you know, you can be vulnerable to a lot of things. A lot of times we talk about absentee fathers, and that's that's an issue, in the, particularly in the African-American community. But a lot of times we don't realize that there's actually people that don't have a mom in their life. And yeah. so that can be a difficult piece, man, because your mother is the one who kind of, she's your fighter. She's the one that kind of affirms you. Uh, she She affirms your emotional self. She really, you know, guides you. Like for me, when I'm 15, 16, I lose my virginity. I'm going to women for, I'm basically looking for a mom in many ways when I was yeah. young. And, 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 and so, and your mom will peep, peep things out. You know what I mean? Just like a wife can. But all that yeah. being said, I love my mom. She's dear, dear woman. You know, she's in Sweden now. Me and my wife went to see her, uh, not this summer, but the summer before that. But it's been, a, it's been, she's had a tough journey in life. Unfortunately, and, and uh, the story that my dad shared with me is that someone gave her a Mickey. And, and, you know, when I think about things like that, I'm like, why would someone do that? You know what I mean? It's so wrong. People don't realize the things that acts can cause. It has a ripple effect. It affected her, affected my dad, affected their marriage, affected their children. And, you know, and so we got to really check ourselves as a society, man, on some of the things we do. Yeah. So I want to ask about this because I've heard the term, it slipped me a Mickey. I've heard that phrase before, but mm -hmm. I did not know what a Mickey was or what it does. So mm -hmm. for those that are like me that don't understand what a Mickey is, can you explain more about that? So a Mickey is basically a type of drug that people will sometimes spike in a drink. You know what I mean? So let's say a guy is trying to have his way with a girl. Mm -hmm. And they'll put something in the drink so that they are, um, so like a psychoactive drug. Yeah. And it, and it kind of makes a person like incapacitated. So they, they don't have their bearings about them. So, per, you know, a guy will do that so that he can have his way with a woman sometimes. The challenge yeah. is that this can have a long-term effect on somebody it can really mess their brain up. So it's kind of like if somebody, you know, if they're smoking weed and somebody laces the weed. Yeah. PCP. Yeah. You know, some uh -huh. people, it's, it's a wrap. I had a friend I grew up with, you know, we would grow, he, he Grover lived in that house and the next door he lived and actually my other buddy lived Izzy and my, my one friend, I, his name is Bam. That's what we called him. He was, you know, we, we all grew up together he was at a party. Somebody gave him, you know, some marijuana laced with PCP. He was never the same. He was in institutions for like 10, 15 years. One of the smartest cats I knew, really good in school, nice guy. You know what I'm saying? So these are things that people don't realize how significant. Some people think it's a joke. Some people play pranks. Some people, I don't know, the sinisterness behind it, but it's really, it can be really dark and it's an evil thing to do. To a person, man. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, um, as a result of this, I'm presuming that your mom dealt with these kind of issues with herself. Yeah, she dealt with emotional and mental illness for many years. And she would, I mean, she would have 
times. I mean, she functioned. She was able to work in a law firm. And then, but she would have episodes. Um, and even right now, and I pray God and whoever's listening to keep her in prayer, she's, she's in a, a long-term care in a, um, a senior home, but she's like non-communicative at this time. So it's kind of mm-hmm. very, very difficult for me uh, yeah. because and my brother. Um, so we're trying to get out there to see her, but the border, you know, that the, the, they don't let, they weren't letting people into senior facilities elderly homes because of COVID. So I've been talking yeah. to a guy that's kind of like her, her, uh, what do you call it? Her, um, social mediator. worker, oh, social, social worker. worker and mediator. Yeah. So we're trying to work out a way for me to get in there and see her. Uh, my wife and I, like I said, we went there a couple of years ago and it just, it's just sad, man. Sad. It's sad. Um, God is a healer. He's a restorer. So I'm believing God for total restoration, deliverance, and all that good stuff. But a lot of things are unnecessary in life. And these are some of the things that as a society we got to look at. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, trauma that can cause a person to somebody's brain because of that or even things we deal with racism-wise or whatever it is. Like, yo, know, why do we do things to hurt each other as a people? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But, so your brother, is he older or younger than you? He's older than me. He's three years older. So when when I was six, like I said, when I was six, my mom sent us back, and um, oh, my brother was nine. So you know, you don't really understand the implications of that, but as years go by, you realize, wow, that that was pretty significant. Um, Now the guy, the brother, who's Great brother, I was giving him a shot. His name is Will Thomas. He's directed probably if you if you like a lot of CHA stuff, he's directed mostly everybody's stuff, um, music video wise. A lot of reach people, um, of course, Eshan, Burgundy's, a lot of people. He's just directed a lot of Flame, and he's a great music director, but he's also uh, I mean, video director, also a great editor. He's editing the film, and that scene where my mom's character is calling to check on the the little boy she had to send back home. Um, he said, yo, that's like the most touching scene in the movie. And so it's, 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 it's significant, bro. It's significant. Um, you know, the whole family relational things. I'm also a school teacher in the school district of Philadelphia. So I, I deal with a lot of young people that either don't have one parent or don't have both parents. And I, I can pick out quickly the kids that have two parents, even if they're not married. I can tell mm-hmm. just from their demeanor and the way they function, oh, you got mom and dad in your life. You know what I'm saying? Because wow. of some of the covering, they have a certain covering around them. Is a certain mm-hmm. self-worth or self-esteem they carry, a certain respect. is less opportunities for the enemy to get in. So, you know, the family is such an important piece. You know what I mean? So, and it's a passion I have. And um, and that's when I, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, say that, and then I want to ask you a question. Yeah, I, I would just say that, you know, we live in a, a throwaway society, a, a throwaway society in the sense that people are very quick. You know, you have no fault, divorce, you got 24-hour divorce attorneys, you got people filing for divorce over no reason. You know what I mean? And a lot of times people don't understand the implications that leads and brings upon the children. And mm-hmm. divorce is a very significant 
issue in in all communities, not just the African American community. And so, you know, I just believe God is a God of covenant and he has family set up in a certain way for to protect children and protect the next generation. Um and you go yeah. to some of these countries like hey man, you go to Haiti, you go to Africa and different countries, you go to Sierra Leone, you can go to Ghana. You know, I got a friend I got friends met a lot of friends from Africa. But you know, when they you see the family value system is very high. Yeah. And people tend to be morally more correct. And so it's not about the education, it's not about the money at the end of the day. It's like, yo, it's it's a covering over these kids. And there's a purity, and that's what we want to make sure we preserve with this generation. So I'm, I'm going to yeah, pass the baton. Yeah, so one of the things I want, wanted you to talk about a little bit, I just wanted you to give a couple of things that are signs that you can tell when a kid has both parents versus signs that you can tell they don't have both parents. Yeah, and I pray, Father, you, you give me a little discernment to share from my heart. So, um. All right, so let's say I have 30 students in a classroom, 25. And usually the ones that have two parents, they're, they're, they're more respectful, they're quiet, they're submissive, they're cognitively just able to express themselves in a different way. There's a security that they carry, if that makes any sense. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, I'm telling you, it's like I would say nine times out of ten, like, you, you got both parents in your life, don't you? Yeah. Or who you live with, my mom and my dad. There's a security they carry. They're not looking mm-hmm. to their peers for affirmation. They're not looking to their peers for value. They're less susceptible to peer pressure. They're less susceptible to bullying. Um, if they are bullied, they stand up to it because they kind of know a little bit. They, they have more value. Parents kind of cover you and parents speak into you as they should be speaking into you to give you a sense of purpose and worth. And when you see stability there, there's less opportunity for that. So we we deal with a lot of kids in my school that you, we, we call it a, a trauma-informed school. A lot of kids are dealing with a lot of trauma, a lot of trauma, hmm. a lot of trauma. Wow. And that that trauma causes issues academically. It causes issues behaviorally, emotional support, yeah. mental support. And it's not that this kid's a better kid than that kid. A lot of times it's, it's just the fence that one child has around him versus the other. It's the protection. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 so it, to me it's kind of – sometimes I talk to God, I'm like, God, that's just, it's not just. It's not fair. Um, I was talking to Truth one day, me, me uh, my guy, John Salmons, he's an NBA player. He and I had a podcast together, like a, a vlog, and we had interviewed Manny, and I asked him a question. I was, it was kind of a personal question. So I said, hey, man, why is it that, you know, God allows some people like you to grow up and you have a pastor, dad, your mom and dad are married, long marriage. You know what I'm saying? You, he was a Sunday school you know, you were you were trained in the things of God. And then you have a guy like my guy, John. I was, his, his mom is Jehovah Witness. You know what I mean? His dad was in his life, and he finds God, you know, another another way than me. I wasn't raised in church, parents. You know, what, what? why is that? And he was like, you know, in the book of Acts, he talked about, the, he was talking about the book of Acts where 
it talks about in Mars Hill, when Paul was preaching to the church of Mars Hill, he said that God allowed these things. Everybody is called to be born in a certain family, a certain place, et cetera, in a certain situation that they might grope for him. So God would sometimes allow us to be in a difficult situation that we would just seek him. And that's just the reality of it. So whatever family you're born in, I encourage you to rejoice because that's the family God puts you in. You can't choose your family. You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Not much no, that was a, Yeah, that was actually a very, that was a good response that he gave to that because in all honesty, I wouldn't have thought of that scripture, but I remember that scripture. But here's it. I want to tell you something. You just brought up something that made me, it, re, it reminded me of something I wanted to tell you about anyway. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. ironic that you brought up Manny because Manny and I are friends. Oh, and, wow. um, and so are me and, and Jerron, Jay Johnson. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just funny how, like, um, over time, like, God allowed me to meet certain people, you know, along mm-hmm. the path that I was mm-hmm. on. And mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. so I wanted to ask you mm-hmm. about the song that you did with them, because you did both, you had both of them on this one song, The Cross. Mm-hmm. And I was just curious, like, I know that you know a lot of people, but mm-hmm. you chose them for a reason. But I'm just wondering, like, what was the particular reason that you chose those two to be on that song with you? Well, um, it's funny because cause originally me and Manny were talking about doing a song like Old Man, Young Man, like I was going to give him counsel. He ended up doing a song like that with somebody else later on where he was giving somebody else counsel. But we were just talking about doing a record together. Um, my man, Nostat St. Jean, he's a Haitian uh, music producer, believer. He, he had looped up the uh, Michael W. Smith sample, and I loved it. And I loved I loved the original record. Um, I had been doing a lot of Christian, you know, Christian-based samples. Actually, I only sample Christian music, and I started that. I started doing that like in 2004, maybe five. But anyway, I felt like you know Manny, of course. Um, very theological. I guess that would probably be my thought on that. And Jerron is a very gritty person especially then very gritty and so I, I just you know I just felt like musically and as well as theologically that would be a good you know good mix um I guess that would probably be my thinking at the time but I always respected both of them as MCs I think J.J. Yeah. Johnson is one of the most underrated dudes out there definitely very, very gifted very gritty and very, very anointed, you know, and and even as of late, and just big ups to the Lord, you know, through him. I just appreciate a lot of his posts. I see God is really, he's digging in the Lord, and especially at this season. So I admire yeah. him. I admire his stand. And, of course, Manny is very astute biblically, um, yeah. but, a, but a really good brother, man, really genuine, very humble. Yeah. And so I appreciate all the brothers, you know. You know, I... I, I, I have a relation. I've known Manny since back, man. Ninety like I like ninety five when I came in when I started when the Lord called me out of darkness and told me to lead a music industry and told me to leave a fraternity and told me to leave a girl all like in this in the course of like days. Yeah. Um, um, the first guys that were mentoring me were the Cross Movement, Deuce 
and Beth, yeah, yeah, Sonata. I know them too. <laughs> yeah, they started they started mentoring me, so they would wow. come to my apartment, and so I got a I got a lot of respect for Deuce because yeah. I see he's always been about that discipleship thing. Yeah, and you know they came. They, you know we were actually, believe it or not, we were actually. This is before Cross Movement was actually formed. They yeah, were all and they were all solo artists. Yeah, and we would talk because I had a lot of connections and and I had to, you know, like you know I knew a lot about the industry at the time. Yeah, we were talking about the possibility of putting out some albums, you know, and then they came to me one day like Hans, we talked to to Tonic, we talked to Wells and we decided we're going to do this thing together with the cross movement and et cetera. So that kind of, that's kind of what, you know, um, that happened. And I was a baby Christian. I had no business yeah. um, doing any music like that. I don't even think I should have been doing music at the time. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I sometimes I wonder, I, 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 it took well, me a long time to really, to really even look at hip hop as a way to minister. I always, I think I was so traumatized. I was like, can yeah. I even really, can I even really do this for God? You're saying like, is this something yeah. like somebody that's been using a gun to kill people all the time? Then he say, hey, you can actually use it to hunt. You're like, you sure? <laughs> is this okay for me to do this? You yeah. know what I mean? But but God yeah. convinced me in the course of a few years. I had a lot of dreams, visions, like supernatural things that happened to kind of one get me out of the music industry the way I was. And two, yeah. to also affirm me in, in, in a gift and God just saying, hey, man, um, occupy till I come. So, yeah. Well, that's what's up, man. I actually um, tell people it's it's like I noticed a phenomenon about a lot of people that I've met over the last 20 years. The Lord got a hold of them in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And then wow. he, it's like they – they were like called out. It was a group of people in the nineties that mm. was just called out of that darkness. Mm. And then mm. he brought them in. And mm. I've actually had, um, I've mm. had like the dream in my heart to see mm. secular rappers specifically coming mm. out of that and coming to Christ. Like, mm. I just, I don't know how, how many have done that, but I've heard mm. over the years how certain ones have come out. You know, yeah. you heard about like Malice, who became no Malice. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. um, some other guys that were in the earlier years of hip hop, like in the 80s or the 90s, and they yeah. came out and they're you know yeah. now doing things for the yeah. Lord. Um, and it's just interesting to see that. But um, one of the things that I wanted to go to now because I know that you were talking about your relationship with your mom. How is your relationship with your father? Um, yeah, so it's interesting. Um, so it's interesting. Um, I, my dad, my stepmom called me yesterday. So she said my dad wanted to talk to me. You know what I mean? So I, I have a, I have a much better relationship with my dad now. Um, much better relationship with him. Um, but for years, so in 95, when I left the music industry and I started following Christ, um, and my dad had, it's like I told you, it was some, some money. I, um, a guy who was selling drugs, actually played for him, and play plays his character. In the movie, his name is Dante, but his real name was, was Otis. And um, um, anyway, um, so my dad had put in some money, and I had put in some money. So my one of my boys told me that he was talking to my dad after you know I came into the things of God. It was like, yo, my dad was very upset. 
that I had left that deal, that whole album, and just walked away from everything. My dad, you know, was, you know, he's a good man in his own right in many ways, but he also likes to make, you know, he's, you know, he, he got like success is very important to him. Yeah. So for me to go from being a, a, a you know, a, a, you know, in a, a notable rap artist, or whatever, to becoming a janitor, which is what I ended up doing at that time in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, got my, my dad wasn't, you know, too pleased about it. And he felt like, maybe he felt like I was throwing my life away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he felt like he had to give me tough love. My dad, my dad came up in a very tough upbringing. So for me, um, I'm not, I'm not built that way. I'm not saying I'm not a tough person. I'm saying that, you know, it's just, I was telling somebody recently, like, yo, my, my, my love language is affirmation. Um, and yeah. so I kind of, at times I felt, you know, a great distance between my dad and me. But, but when I, you know, for the last, I've been praying for him without ceasing. I've been ministering to him without ceasing. My dad began to go through some physical challenges, Parkinson's, uh, Parkinson's disease about 10 years ago. So I've been, I've been, you know, so over the course of the last maybe five years, I think he started to see who I was and my love for him. And so kind of his heart kind of melted in that process. So to answer your question, our relationship's a lot better now. We've had a very strenuous relationship for many years prior to that. But I'm grateful to God that, um, you know, we have what we have. And I truly believe in the scripture, you know, on your father and mother, you know, that your days would be long. You know what I'm saying? So it's a very important c- commandment to honor your parents. Um, and, you know, there's another scripture that says the fathers are the glory of the children. It doesn't say the best fathers in the world are the glory of the children. It says the fathers are the glory of the children. Fathers represent a certain covering, uh, whether they're walking in that or not. And to have your dad in your life in any way, you may not know your dad that well. You may not love your dad he may not love you the way you want him to but the fact that you have a father is a gift and and i'm grateful for my dad and 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 let me let me let me let me make sure i'm also very candid and very fair my dad was also a very great provider i'm talking about financially so you know there, there there's he came from a generation where it wasn't about the affirmation it wasn't about the i love you's it was a I, got, I put food on the table. You know what I mean? I got mm-hmm. clothes on your back. You know what I'm saying? He was grinding yeah. and working. And, and and I guess in his mind, that was what was most important. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and yeah. so, and, and certain people, a person that never had nothing, they may be like, yo, I don't care about my dad telling me I love, I love you and being there for me. I wish he gave me some money. Maybe that's what's important to some people. You know, yeah. I don't know. I, I say for me, you know, I'm just, I'm grateful for the dad I had because it was what God had. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And he's a pioneer, too. I mean, he accomplished a lot of great things. There's a lot of work ethic I picked up from him, a lot of lessons I've learned from him. He's endured a lot of racism and came out of it, um, uh, you know, um, he taught me a lot. So to kind yeah. of answer your question, it's, it's, it's like a book you read. You know what I'm saying? It's, yeah, yeah. chapters that you really like and chapters that you don't like as much. And you just, yeah. but thank God you get to the end of the book. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of yeah. where I'm at with it. Mm-hmm. So, 
So one thing that I wanted to um, find out about is, mm-hmm. I mean, you say you didn't grow up in a in a um, Christian home or whatever, and being that you're biracial, uh, mm-hmm. I was wondering if there is some kind of uh, maybe an identity issue that you had growing up or, you know, because I know that a lot of times, and I feel like I face the same thing, but, mm-hmm. you know, where you will be not black enough for the black people and not white enough for the white people, and then you kind of in mm-hmm. between and you don't know where you fit in because sometimes you get yeah. mistreated on both sides or whatever. Like, how was it for you growing up in that sense? Yeah, so, so for me, I think because my dad is such a strong, domineering black man, I never really dealt with, like I had, like my man Grove, little G, his mom is white, his dad is black, right, Grover's son. And Grove Mm -hmm. really wrestled a lot with his identity as far as color-wise. I'm not, Mm -hmm. I I don't think he would mind me saying it, so I'm not putting him out there. Yeah, yeah. For me, for me, I always, I always had a certain swag, if that makes any sense. I just was kind of like, yeah, you know what I mean? And then the other thing is, I mean, the, hook, the hip-hop culture kind of swooped me up so much. So when you start dealing with the era, like you start dealing with P.E. and Brand Nubians and all that, you know what I'm saying? And, you you know, it just – I come up in an era where, you know, you have I'm black and I'm proud. You have – it was like another mindset. So I, I was quick to gravitate to the the black culture. Um, but that at the same token, and, and unfortunately, and I say this unfortunately, and this is something that you know that I that I share on at times with God. But, you know, that early era of hip hop really taught a lot of racism in a lot of ways or prejudice, um, and it had a lot of seeds of that in it. And I really started to personally become ra- racist in my own way, um, just from the music. You know, I, I got a chip on my shoulder to certain color groups, even towards my own part of my own self. So, you know, um, yeah, so growing up in the urban context, I didn't wrestle with that as much. Now, don't mind, now mind you, I still would get flack from both sides. I still would get flack. You know, people would say different things and all that kind of stuff. But I, in myself, I kind of was pretty secure with me. You know what I mean? Um, as a believer now, I have a great heart for the ministry of reconciliation of people of different color groups because I know that that's God's ordained you know, that's what he wants. In John 17, he said that we would be one, even as he's one. I know in heaven is different tribes and kindreds of all all color groups, all cultures. So, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing all my brothers and sisters of different color groups when we get to heaven. Yeah, my heart is, my heart is for that. I, I hate racism, bro. Yes, I me too, man. I, I think it's a major, it's a major issue in the body. Um, I don't want to yeah. say racism, but just classism. Um, yeah. That talks about partiality. If one mm-hmm. person comes with the gold, you know, with the with the godly apparel, the fly gear on, the other person is homeless. You know, you show respect to the one person and not the other. He's, he's like, is that is the love of God in that? You know, what I mean, like, yeah, yeah, it should be so. And if yeah. we respect people because of their race, and sadly, yeah. bro, inside our own uh, people group and color group. We have our own classisms and, and structuralisms and dark skin, light skin, this and that, and uh, yeah. you know, bougie black and this. 
you know, money versus no money, classism, you know, it's unfortunate. So we, we, we deal with, we, we talk about a lot about, you know, racism and stuff, but we deal with it in, within our own group. We got to repent for that. Yeah, man, I agree. Um, I definitely talk about that a lot on the podcast. Um, that'll be something that, you know, if you get more familiar with it, you'll see. But, yeah, man, I wanted to also ask you because obviously but, at oh, some point. Before I, before, I want to say something. You have a really good way of asking questions. So that's an interesting, it's an anointing you have, bro. It's not, I've been interviewed a lot of times, and you have a real interesting way of, of asking questions. So God bless you in that. Yeah. Just thank you, oh, man. man. Yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Well, yeah. thank you, man. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> so I just wanted to know, as far as, like, your – obviously, at some point, you you were introduced to Christ, but I know also, at some point, you developed a love for music. I want to know which one came first, and, you know, that one that came first, how did it happen? Okay. Well – that's a really deep question. Um, Holy Spirit, help me. So as a as a young buck, I remember I, so I took piano lessons when I was little. And um, my stepmom, I guess she saw some musical things in me. And I used to be like, yo, this is boring. Why you got me playing piano? You know what I'm saying? Um, but I played it. And I think the first song I ever learned was Silent Night. And I realized that anytime I would start to feel real upset, sometimes I would just go and I would play Silent Night on the piano. And there would be a piece that came, you know. Um, as a young, young, young buck, I really just liked going through old records, old classic records, Beatles, whoever, Rolling Stones, whatever, you know, um, um, <laughs> I could just listen to, so I just love listening to old, you know, 70s, 80s records, whatever. I love music. Um, so to say music was my first love, in a way it was, but I believe in my heart it was always about, it was always God. I just didn't know how to articulate that, if that makes any sense. Um, so... You know, I got enamored or infatuated with music very heavily, um, of course, when the hip-hop culture came in and just listening to, you know, I remember being in a hotel room. I went to go see a girl in Baltimore, and I went to a hotel. I was staying up there to visit her or whatever. And this is the early days of hip-hop, and Run DMC uh, is being interviewed on this AM station, I think, in Baltimore. And I was like, yo. And they they, they played Sucker MCs. And they played um, Hard Times. on this, And they interviewed them. And I was just, I was lit. I was like, yo, this is it. I just got to do this. I mean, I, of course, I'd heard Sugar Hill Gang. Of course, I heard a lot of stuff. But when Run DMC came out, I was kind of so enamored because there was a certain um, power that I saw. And from there, um, I just became, you could, you know, I went from a fan to a fanatic, man, to being in the culture. And I remember the first time I just kind of, um, first time I, um, 
they used to have these things on college campuses where they would kind of like, if they'd be like portable studios, if that makes any sense. So what they would uh-huh. do is like, they would take like, it's not a karaoke, but they would take the instrumental of a record and you would give, go in there getting like $30 and they would steal your money. And then you would record <laughs> some verses. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I, I, I was in college and, and one of those, one of those, People came around, you know, I always wanted to rap. I was always rapping in lunchroom tables. I was I was always rapping, writing, but I never had recorded. And, man, the first time I ever recorded, it was almost like a supernatural experience. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it, wasn't, it, was, it wasn't the right supernatural, but I was yeah. like, no, this is crazy. <laughs> and I was I listened to that record about a thousand times. Oh, man. Then they had like a talent show at the school. I won the talent show, and um, you know, and and a lot of it stemmed like what happened. Well, I don't want to get too deep into it because if I do, some people I don't know people can really can handle it. So what yo, if you if you yo, I want you to go into it a little bit, oh, bro, because right, see, a lot of people. I'm, I'm gonna tell you why because there's a lot of people who think mm-hmm. that there's things that they heard about the music industry and they'll be like, nah, that's not real. That didn't happen. That doesn't happen to people. So I want you to talk about those things that you know about and that you experienced, man, because people need to know that it's out there. Uh, All right. I'm going to get into the supernatural side of it, but I'm going to start with the trickery and the breadcrumbs. Okay. Um, So, so for me, I was, I was dating a girl. She was at Princeton university I was in a relationship with her um, for five years. Um, and although, you know, I, I shouldn't have been in premarital sexual relationship in the first place, though I didn't think nothing about that at the time, um, I was a faithful dude, so to speak. All my friends would be like, yo, why are you tripping? You're saying, like, why are you with this one girl and you only with one girl and you're in college and yada, yada, yada. All right, so, well, one day, one day, I go down to Princeton from Temple where I went, Temple U, house, and um, she was not at the campus or whatever, and she was evidently with some dude, probably some white dude, and I'm not, it's not a racist statement, I'm just saying she was some white dude. And, yeah, I was crushed. I was crushed. So I came back. Temple and my boys convinced me to pledge a fraternity, which I did. Um, after pledging the fraternity, which is all part of bread comes after pledging fraternity, then you know you go over. And next thing you know, I'm sleeping with how many women a night? I mean, it's crazy. You just like in the course of maybe a month, I slept with like maybe like seven girls, eight girls, whatever. Well, one girl I slept with. And that's why I said I hope it's not just one girl I slept with. Um, Hey, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to be transparent. One of the girls I slept with, and I always wore condom, one of the girls I slept with gave me gonorrhea. All right? And so at that time, I thought, you know, it was a time where HIV was really, really, you know, it was spooky. And people was like, yo, it was just a big, like, everybody was concerned about HIV. Um, not that they shouldn't be now, but it was really, really, really a major, it was like, yo, it's a wrap. You know, you're a leper. 
So I just kept thinking in the back of my mind, I think she may have gave me something more than gonorrhea. And she didn't. I mean, I, I'm straight. Nothing was happening. But in my mind, I thought, like, yo, I just kept couldn't stop thinking that maybe this girl gave me something more. So that whole thought got me to the – I started thinking, like, you know what, I don't know how much longer I'm going to live, so I might as well pursue my dream of being a, a recording artist because I don't know how much longer I'm going to live. So I got obsessed with just getting into the industry and just making demos and selling and pawning off things, pawning off my stereo equipment, doing whatever I had to do to get studio time. And lo and behold, within a year, I had two two deals. Um, and, um, wow, this is deep. So the first, when, they, when I got signed to Epic, when they gave me the contract, when the contract came in the mail, the address for Epic Records at the time, you could probably, if you typed it in there, it would probably pop up on some label now. And it wasn't even Epic Sony, it was Epic CBS Records. They were just about to turn to Sony. And their contract was Epic Records, CBS, the number six, the number six, the number six, West 52nd Street, New York, New York. And that just jumped out at me. It just really <laughs> yeah wow, and I'm not saying you know I'm just saying just telling you the straight up truth that no 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 I, yeah yeah, and so this girl I was dating another girl I was dating at the time she was not a believer she was in Baha'ism. Now mind you, I had set a sinner's like I asked the Lord in my heart in the dorm room, like not like some you know maybe earlier in my college life. And, but I never, you know, and I believed in the Lord. I just didn't have a Bible. I didn't know, I didn't go to church. I wasn't mentored, discipled. Um, I had started going to a church for like a few, maybe a few weeks, right around the time I got signed. Actually, I prayed for a record deal. I remember that. And that, this is for somebody out there that may not understand when God is trying to talk to you and he says something to you, you need to listen. But I prayed for a record deal. I said, Lord, I want a record deal. And something said, don't pray for that. That's what I heard. Don't pray for that. So I think it's the first time, you know, second time God ever talked to me that I knew. God talked to me then and God talked to me before I slept with that young lady, like telling me I need to stop having sex. And, but I wasn't like I knew scripture and I wasn't like I was in church, but he did speak to me. He did speak to me and told me to, to not do that. Well, anyway, I signed it. So, I, I called the girl who was behind them. I said, hey, you know, this is the address. Don't you think that's kind of weird? I didn't know pastors to call. I didn't know I didn't know any Christians to call. I just called the person that I knew that I was in a relationship with. She was like, oh, that's just a coincidence. So I was like, yeah, you're right. It's just a coincidence. So I signed the deal. Well, I didn't realize what I was really getting into when I signed that contract. But I can tell you my personality really began to change. Um, if you if you study um, a person like um, what's her name Whitney Houston, and you look at her when she's young, and the vibrancy, and the anointing that God had in her life, um, and then once you know, you know her dealings with Aris and all that, and and the, what came about it from her life, it was very significant. It was very tragic. 
um, in her funeral, you'll hear Clive Davis say that he's her industry father. That's significant. You have to really watch some of the things that are being said by people. Um, and so I began to see a change in my life tremendously. And though I didn't realize it, I was oblivious to it. I started going through a lot of issues in life after I signed my first deal, then when I signed with Loud, then, of course, when I did the third project. I was, it was getting darker and darker, and I was at a place where I was changing as a person. My whole moral code was changing. You know, as a freshman in college, I would have never accepted drug money to do a label. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, it was just certain things I would have never done. But what happens is, and a lot of times when people sign record deals, they go and say, you know what, I'm going to be, I'm cool. Like, I remember when I first went, I was like, I'm not going to curse on the record. I'm not going to be cursing. And you, and that goes out the window in, like, months. Because when the culture shifts and now cursing becomes popular, the person shifts. Well, the same thing happens, like, when Snoop Dogg and, and Dre came out with chronic and all that, and weed becomes a popular. That, now you smoke on weed because you're trying to push units and you're also trying to creatively to get to a certain space where you can, you know, do this music. And it's all about the music. So I did that, and unfortunately, you know, I learned from that. But I'm going to fast forward to the supernatural experiences because I really believe there's people that are watching, that are listening, and God is talking to them. And they don't want to, they don't want to hear God or they're not willing to hear God. I remember in the early days, bro, I'd be, so when I first started the FOI, the Nation of Islam in Philly, they kind of ran all the concerts. Um, they did all the shows. They did all the, you know, the events. So if you was doing any concerts in, in, in many of the hip hop cities, um, you know, and it was, you know, of course, New York, Philly, um, Chicago, you know, th there were certain cities that was L.A., certain cities was popping for hip-hop back in those days where, you know, hip-hop's blowing up. They actually got an FM, you got KJLH in, in, in uh, K-Day in, in L.A., you had KJLH in L.A., you know, you had you had a guy, uh, what's his name, you had a guy in Baltimore I uh, was banging hip-hop a lot because you had Philly, you had New York, and you had um, maybe like some cities in Michigan, and you had Atlanta starting and stuff like that. Well, anyway, um, you got you know, you, you, you I would go on these tours, I would do these shows, and I would look in the cat's eyes and I would see stuff. I saw it. I know what I saw. It was real. Like God would show me things, but I just saw it and I didn't really know what to make of it. But it was like God showing me kind of the element I was in. I remember doing concerts with um oh no, I was at a I was at a concert with uh with Chuck D and um we was backstage or yeah, we was backstage and Chuck was like Chuck D was like, Yo, Hans, you, you don't even belong here. You're not even like you, you you shouldn't even be here. And so there is a there's a light and there's a dark. And I'm not saying he's dark and I'm light. I'm not even getting into that. I'm just saying yeah, that yeah, yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of influences out there that you gotta when God opens up your eyes to things, don't just walk blindly into it. Don't just ignore it for the grab that's about to happen or the deal that's about to get signed. Mm -hmm. Um so in ninety five when and this is a true story and God, you know, 
and I say God's my witness. I'm his witness, but God can, I know God would, would, would agree with me that I'm speaking the truth. Um, in 95, I went to go to March, the March of 95, I went on vacation to St. Thomas to visit my brother. The, the album had been mixed, uh, mastered at Bernie Grumman's in, 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 in L.A. Um, Steph Anson from Tribe Called Quest had produced on it. I think um, my man, um, what's my man? Uh, Vance Wright, Slick Rick's DJ. I was working with him. Uh, Freeway, the rapper, had just done a signal with him. Questlove was one of my very close friends. And we came up together, Tariq, all them guys. Um, the guy, Kevin Lyles, that runs Universal, was my road manager. Um, mm. And he's worth probably like $70 million now. It's just interesting how you, you know, a lot of things happen. Benny Boom, the, the video director, was one of my roommates in college. And so, you know, you, 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 you know, that was the God we served. I know that was the God I served, hip-hop. And so, you know, um, I was, I, the, the album was, so right before that happened, we had like a, a release party in Philly. Schooly D, everybody roots, everybody's there, right? But I got sick before the party. I got sick. And I remember vaguely saying a prayer to God, like, yo, just let me get through this or something, and I'm going to stop. Let me just get through this night or whatever. I'm going to stop. Um, so I went to St. Thomas soon thereafter to visit my brother. I was really dealing with a lot of depression, a lot of psychosomatic symptoms because I, I, I was just – pretty much delusional. And I think it was from just being in the, the stuff I was into. And um, I remember coming home and I was actually on a fast. I was on a juice fast. I wasn't, it wasn't for spiritual reasons. It wasn't for Christian reasons. It was for health reasons. I was on a fast, but I believe God used that to sensitize my sensitize me to himself. And, um, yeah, so I was out there, and my brother was like, yo, you need to go check out this reggae studio and, you know, you know, check out these guys. I heard they got some, you know, they got a studio out there. So I went out there, and I'm going to tell you, God opened up my spiritual eyes, and he was, like, showing me so, like, in 3D, the wickedness. So I saw that. Um, so God was drawing me in that trip. So on the way home, I fly, we were flying, and I said, we, because the Holy Spirit was What's up, family? This is Norman. Thanks for listening to New Numa. We appreciate you, and that includes your feedback. What do you like most about the podcast? What are your favorite subjects? What types of guests would you like to hear more? Shoot us an email today at new.numa.podcast at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts. Peace.